Good morning, I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, that's in Random Lake, Wisconsin. We're called Sherman Center, of course, as some of you know, most of you know, probably, if not all of you, because we're at the center of the town of Sherman, as I call them here. I grew up with townships. This is town. Uh, we're the only thing. We're right at the uh, the center of the town. <laughs> so anyway, Sherman Center. And today is our last congregation prayer before the beginning of the school year. So it'll be our last time in Jeremiah and in the gospel according to St. Mark. And we also have a couple of commemorations to recognize. I missed yesterday's, um, but it actually goes with today's as well. So we'll look at both commemorations. Yesterday was Monica. Today is St. Augustine. All right. I think of anything else. Yeah. Uh, one other comment while uh, people are checking in. Um, I had a, <laughs> another post uh, go against Facebook's community standards. Community standards. And I've been thinking about what does that mean to go against community standards? Um, and, and especially in regards to the Christian community, right? We have a community, com, unity, right? To be joined together in unity. That's what that means. Um, in the case of Facebook, it means that you do what they tell you to do, right? So it's a forced unity. Um, you're forcibly joined together as by conforming to what they declare uh, to be dogma, truth, all right? Dogmatic truth, right? And so apparently I go against community standards frequently, um, three times in the last month, I guess. Um, so now I'm in a seven-day um, ban. I just deactivated my account because I don't need to play your stupid games. Um, so I have to use a secondary account for to be able to stream on Facebook. Um, it's not really a community if it's built um, by authoritarians or by, uh, you know, a, in this case, whoever's making the decisions, the council of Zuckerberg or whatever they call it, right? Um, that's, not, that's not actually unity. It's, it's uh, conformity, right? So forcing people to be conformed, con, um, which is another prefix that I think means with, um, but to be joined in the same form with the same form. Is that what we want, conformity? Or would we rather have unity um, that is grounded in the truth, right? Um, and of course, truth is sometimes hard to nail down, and that requires then diverse opinions, diverse viewpoints, uh, contrary opinions to be expressed. And then hopefully, um, through discourse, we can actually arrive at unity uh, of purpose and of, uh, of truth um, based upon evidence, right? <laughs> So that's grassroots unity. Uh, by the way, this is how the church works as well. Um, we are both conformed to the image of the Son, Jesus, right? Because we are under Jesus. We are joined to him. And um, God, um, in the way of a potter molding clay, right, uh, molds us into the unity, uh, into, I should say, uh, conformity into the form and image of his Son. And that's actually a, re a reformation, right? Reformation, because it's. Uh, taking what was broken, the broken shards of, of clay, and then reforming them again um, to the once um, useful and, well, God-pleasing vessel that a man is apart from sin. All right. Um, but there's also community, right? We have the communion, right, where we join together in the receiving of Christ's body and blood. Actually, the communion, when we say communion there, we're actually describing Christ joining himself to bread and wine. Right, to deliver forgiveness, life, and salvation to us. But there is also community. I'm right here at church, so right outside, right? When we join together in with common purpose and 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 common faith. 
right? And that forms a community. Um, but it's actually individual members, each with uh, distinct abilities, goals, um, diversity of, well, opinions about many things, um, but having a common, something in common, right? Which is faith, right? And that faith given by the Holy Spirit as he conformed us to the image of his son. Um, it's not a forced community, right? So we don't require anyone to join uh, to be a part of this, nor do we forcibly retain people um, if they decide that they no longer share the confession of faith we have, um, or they no longer want to be a part of this community, but rather maybe because they moved or something, they want to be a part of another community. We don't forcibly retain them, right? It's not from the top down. It's uh, also grassroots. Same thing with our membership in the Missouri Synod as a um, congregation of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. It's a voluntary organization. We are members of the Synod for the sake of training of uh, church workers, both pastors and teachers and musicians and others, uh, DCEs, etc., um, but also with common endeavor and missionary uh, effort, and then also to join together in other ways that we can support one another, uh, congregations sharing the same confession of faith. So um, think of like our Concordia plans, the uh, both health and retirement benefits that our church workers receive because we've joined together uh, in order to do that economically, or more economically anyway. <laughs> I don't think it's all that economic. Uh, Don's in the chat here uh, looking at the, what is it, like a quarter of our budget, I think. Um, so I don't know how, <laughs> I don't know how affordable that is, but it's still, um, that's why we, why we are participate in that. Um, voluntarily though, not, um, out of force. This is different actually than other, um, Lutheran synods in our, in our country. Um, the most notorious being the ELCA. If you choose to leave the ELCA as a congregation because you no longer share their confession of faith, um, you also forfeit your property. Now, all your property, not just your, uh, physical plant, but every, every possession that belongs to the congregation becomes forfeit to the synod for them to do what they want. Um, the way our constitution is written, including the revision to our constitution, is that forfeiture um, to the district, in our case, um, is voluntary, right? It's insofar as we've re remained a member of um, the district. All right, so again, when we think about unity, or in the case of Facebook, community standards, um, they don't get to determine what is the community standard for it to actually be a community. Um, so I would argue that it's not actually a community. It's, um, it's a, because there's not a free exchange of ideas. Certainly not. Um, there, you can't post, po you can't post contradictory evidence um, based on whatever arbitrary standards they've created um, at the top level. So to call it community standards is a misnomer. I think I'm trying to think of a better way to call it. Um, I think we just call them authoritarian standards. You know, it sounds negative, but I mean that's just what they are. They get to decide what's on their platform. They're operating as a business, fair enough, but not a business that uh, values freedom of speech, for example. So, um, so that then, if that's true, <laughs> then they're no longer going to be afforded uh, some of the freedoms that they receive from the state to not control speech on their platform because they are controlling speech. See, and not just speech that's uh, illegal, but speech that's also. Uh, just they've deemed inappropriate or, or offensive or um, harmful in the case of what I posted, which was uh, some COVID-related matters. All right, so yeah, Don says it's a lot. <laughs> uh, just don't do the math. It's probably a little less than a quarter. It's probably more like 20%, um, but uh, it's pretty significant. All right. So there's some uh, words for you to chew on as you're thinking about um, maybe... Maybe even the appropriateness of participating in these 
so-called community spaces. Um, better, I mean, the electronic ones, I should say. I mean, in person, of course, um, you have rights and privileges within your state, within your local community, like say a school board, to speak um, because you are part of this community where we're joined together in common purpose. Oh, I would I would uh, extend it one one step further too. Um, the United States of America is a um, is actually a grand social experiment that hasn't ever been successful in the history of the world. Okay, and that's one where we have ethnically diverse people being joined together with common purpose, and that common common purpose um, was a nation grounded in the First Amendment, you know, uh, or in the Declaration of uh, Independence, right, uh, to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That was our that was our community. That's what we're joined together in with that purpose, right? Um, and then the First Amendment being the rights and privileges afforded to those in that community. To then revoke uh, the First Amendment, even including like redress of grievances, the ability of um, citizens to, to criticize the state um, is actually to destroy the foundation of our unity. Um, but notice also, um, and in, in order to have that unity, it also means we have to set aside other things that maybe we hold to. Um, for example, Christians uh, don't, I think, particularly like um, the increase of, of false religions in our, in our state. For example, Buddhism, a Muslim uh, incursion especially, uh, probably more of that uh, as we receive Afghanis here. Um, that's offensive to us in a lot of ways because it's going to you know, result in conflict especially as there as we are contradictory uh, to one another. But on the other hand, in order for us to retain <laughs> the freedom to worship without fear here uh, in our country, at least fear of, of the state, it requires that we also afford that same liberty um, to those who hold to other views, other faiths, right? As long as they can be uh, conducted, of course, within the um, legal framework of our country, right? Without hurt or harm to fellow citizens. Uh, so that's true. If you're going to be a Muslim in our country, um, it does mean that you have to set aside jihad. Uh, even though it's articulated in the Quran, um, you have to set it aside, or maybe you try to accomplish it through atypical means, right? Rather than by sword, um, by other means. But regardless, um, that's not a freedom that you're afforded here. You set that, that uh, belief aside, that practice aside, um, in order to live in community here, right? Um, so that's, that's true for all kind of uh, racial divisions as well. Right? We don't look to color of the skin. We went through this many times in the history of our world, in our country, um, because uh, it, it would contradict the thing that actually joins us together, which is uh, the Declaration and the Constitution. All right. So uh, there's another example of uh, unity that's grassroots. Right. It's not top down. We don't have our unity from our commander in chief. We have unity from our, our shared common uh, rights and privileges that that are articulated in our founding documents, um, and in, actually in our state's founding documents too. Uh, there is a Wisconsin State Bill of Rights, um, which is very similar to the, the, the federal government one too. All right, so there you go. Not, uh, not conformity, but community. All right. Let's get the devotion up. Oh, that was a long rant. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, here we go. Let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. 
he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Say our memory verse for this week one more time. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10 verse 9. And our psalm for this week, Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your helper, our keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Well, now that we've had an opportunity to pray the psalm each day this week, it's appropriate, I think, too, to hear a meditation on the psalm so that we uh, uh, maybe see how it can be brought to bear upon our daily life. All right, and this is again from uh, Patrick Henry Reardon, um, who's an Orthodox priest in Chicago area. Psalm 120, or Hebrew 121, may be prayed as a man's dialogue with his soul a man's dialogue with his soul. As an internal discussion, the soul speaks both for itself and to itself, the pronouns alternating constantly between first and second person. I have raised mine eyes to the, hill, to the mountains. From where does my help come? My help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not suffer, uh, nor let your foot to slip, nor will your guard succumb to slumber. Behold, the guardian of Israel sleeps not, nor slumbers. The Lord will be your guard. At your right hand will the Lord be your security. The sun will not burn you by day and the moon assail you by night. The Lord shall guard you from every evil. The Lord will guard your soul. The Lord will guard your coming in and your going out uh, henceforth and forevermore. All right, so uh, just a reminder, being Orthodox, he tra- he's translating from the Greek uh, Old Testament rather than the Hebrew. So you can see a little bit different nuance there. Not much. Um, the word is keep here translated in the ESV, uh, which is translated there, uh, guard, guard and keep. We usually put those, we usually almost say those synonymously, don't we, in the church? All right. The thoughts in Psalm 120 are clearly those to which the believing mind will cleave, especially in times of trial when spiritual help is most needed. Whether as a participle or finite verb, references to God's guarding me appear six times in the Psalm's eight verses. God's protection of me is complete, shall guard you from all evil or every evil, verse 7, because he neither slumbers nor, uh, sleeps nor slumbers. This thoroughness of God's protection is emphasized by the twin polarities of the sun by day and the moon by night, and the coming in and the going out. For all that, the protection that God provides for me is not a, is not a merely individual blessing. This is not a psalm about God and me. I may pray this psalm and lay claim to its blessings, rather, by reason of my adherence to his chosen people, the church. I am a sheep of his flock. My personal confidence in God's guardianship stands within a context determined by his 
covenanted interventions in human history. The Lord is the guardian of my soul because he is the guardian of Israel. Behold, he who keeps Israel, right? I may trust in him because he has made me too a child of Abraham. This truth tells me likewise the meaning of these mountains to which I have raised mine eyes and from where my help shall come. The mountains are my fixed foundations, the everlasting hills of my hope. Let these mountains ever serve too as bulwarks to my soul. Let me look upon them always. May the eyes of my soul never stray from gazing toward these mountains because upon them, quote, the guardian of Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. Indeed, let me even now turn my thoughts to these godly mountains of my deliverance. Let me think of high Moriah, the mountain where the Lord provides. Let me climb with Abraham and wood-bearing Isaac to the altar of sacrifice. Let my help come to me too from mighty Sinai in covenant and law. Let me ascend with Moses and Elijah to stand before your face. Likewise, Lord, make me ever mindful of the mountain where you dispel satanic thought with the keen sword of Deuteronomy. Oh, suffer not that handsome blade to sleep within my hand. Again, in blessed assurance, let my help come from the mountain where you proclaim blessed the, the poor in spirit. And kindly count me, sir, among their number. Yet again, may my help come to me from the holy mountain where such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son. Second Peter 1. Transfiguration. With Simon, make me contemplate the glorious cloud and with the sons of thunder. Oh, most um, certainly let my help be established on forlorn Golgotha, whose dark ninth plague foreshadows for three hours the earthquake and the slaughter of the firstborn. With your mother let me stand and the close companions of her sorrow. Ah, but let my help too be found on that mountain from which the eleven are sent forth to make disciples of all nations. For how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who proclaim peace and bring good, good tidings. Isaiah. And now let my help come to me from mystic Nebo, where I may gaze as the morning mist begins to clear across the green and tree-lined Jordan to my wide inheritance. May I not perish, I pray, amidst the sons of Ammon, nor the children of Moab. And at the last, dear Lord, let me stand with John on that great and high mountain to see the great city, holy Jerusalem, descending down from heaven, her light like a most precious stone, like jasper clear as crystal, with streets of gold and like transparent glass. That city is the final Israel, whose guardian neither slumbers nor sleeps. And until that day, Lord, teach me always to raise my eyes to these mountains, from where my help shall come. Yeah, what a lovely survey of all uh, the mountains of the scriptures. And how the Lord provided help in time of need from them. All right, our first reading today is from Jeremiah 22. Thus says the Lord, go down to the house of the king of Judah, and there speak this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, you who sit on the throne of David, you and your servants and your people who enter these gates. Thus says the Lord, execute judgment and righteousness, and deliver the plundered out of the hand of the oppressor. Do no wrong, and do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless, or the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. For if you indeed do this thing, then shall enter the gates of this house, riding on horses and in chariots, accompanied by servants and people, kings who sit on the throne of David. But if you will not hear these words, I will swear by myself, says the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. 
course, we can think there of Jesus' words, the abomination of desolation, right? As foretold by the prophet. For thus says the Lord to the house of the king of Judah, You are Gilead to me, the head of Lebanon, yet I surely will make you a wilderness, cities which are not inhabited. I will prepare destroyers against you, everyone, with his weapons. They shall cut down your choice cedars and cast them into the fire. And many nations will pass by this city, and everyone will say to his neighbor, Why has the Lord done so to this great city? Then they will answer, Because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God and worshipped other gods and served them. Weep not for the dead, nor bemoan him. Weep bitterly for him who goes away, for he shall return no more, nor see his native country. All right, so the warning here given to the king of Judah um, is actually um, basically the same thing that God had warned the people uh, as they wandered in the wilderness, we talked about yesterday, that uh, you forsake the Lord and his covenant, that is, refuse to hear his word and to trust in him, um, it won't go well for you. Right, um, and like they were not allowed to go into the promised land, um, only their children. So the same for those who refuse to hear God's word now. And then our reading for catechesis, not a long one, <laughs> is Mark eight, starting in verse twenty-two. Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house saying, Neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. Yes, there's a question. Is a big jar of water, is it hot? Um, yes, and you can actually... Um, sweating quite a bit. No AC. All right, a lot of residual heat, I think, from yesterday. Uh, and it's warm outside yet. Okay, it's, well, it's too humid. I have all my books in here, so I really don't like having the windows open because um, I don't want them to get mildewy. So so if it's wet outside, I don't really open the window. So, and I don't run the fan because then it would be too noisy and you wouldn't hear me. So there you go. Uh, let's see. So, questions and answers. Not a lot here. Uh, Bethsaida. He came to Bethsaida. Where was that? Uh, I can't pull up a map for you quickly. Well, maybe I can. Um, it's, remember, he's been swimming, swimming, no, boating <laughs> across the, uh, across the Galilee, back and forth, back and forth, right? All right, so Bethsaida. Uh, I think we know where it is. Yeah, there it is. All right, so I can pull this up for you so you can see it. There you go. All right, and uh, so let's see. Can I make it a little bit bigger? Probably. I'm trying. Uh, it's not like it's not liking me. All right, we'll just go back to the other version. Um, so you see there. Let's see, Galilee, right? And you have the Golan Heights. There's no Bethsaida. This is today, modern day. Let's not do modern day. Where's the ancient map? Uh. It's in the Golan Heights today in the Gospels. Well, that's not a map. Let's find a different map. Sorry, I should have planned this ahead of time. There's a bunch of pictures of Bethsaida, which you can see. Here it is, a Bible atlas. All right, so there you go. I uh, remember the Decapolis is um, to the, 
uh, as you're looking at the screen to your right, that would be to the uh, east, right? So Bethsaida is on the northeast part, right? And then um, on the west shore, of course, is Galilee. So you have Capernaum and Gennesaret, right? All right, uh, Chorazin as well. And then uh, Tiberias, which is a Roman city, but it's on the, on the Gentile side. Of course, you can see Nazareth um, out inland, right? And the Decapolis being on the other side. So there is uh, Seleucia and Gamla and Karnaim, um, Ashtaroth, Abilia, Gadara, right? So the 10 cities there. Caesarea Philippi, I think, is included as well. All right, so on the north coast. All right, let's get our devotion back. There we go. Uh, what had Jesus said about this city? Not in Mark's gospel, but in. Uh, Matthew's Gospel, what does he say about, about Bethsaida? Let's see if you remember. Well, this is in his, uh, in his statements about woes, right? Woes. He began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent, right? And then he said, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. All right. So Chorazin and Bethsaida. Um, maybe we should go back to the map so you can see all those in uh, context. Give me a moment here. Dun, dun, dun. Where's that map? There it is. All right. So uh, you can see Tyre. If you, it's up in the top left hand corner here, you can see Tyre. Oh, I guess you can see my cursor. There you go. Tyre. Uh, and Sidon is north of that. So it's off the screen here. Right. And then uh, Chorazin and, and uh, excuse me, Bethsaida and, and Chorazin are right here at the top. Right, and of course Capernaum. Right, so all these cities had seen great signs, but they it's not the signs. Oh, there's Cana, by the way, right here in the on the side. Um just being a part of those towns and or even having witnessed great and miraculous works from Jesus doesn't save you. Right. Jesus had warned them that if the mighty works had been done in them that were done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. All right. How does this blind man get to Jesus? See this in verse 23? Well, it says they brought the blind man to Jesus, right? That he might touch them. Um, they took him by the hand, right? And what were his friends begging him to do there? We've talked about this in regards to Jesus' clothing, but it's also his physical touch, right? Which is one and the same, at least in, in Mark's um, estimation. And what did Jesus do? There it is. Jesus takes him by the hand Precious Savior, what's the, what's the song? Yeah, it's Precious Savior. Uh, by the hand, lead me to the promised land, right? Okay. So he takes the blind man by the hand and leads him out of the town. Uh, what do you think the significance then, having talked about the town quite a bit and what the woes that Jesus pronounces in, in Matthew against it, why does he lead him out of town? All right. He's taking a blind man and he's leading him away from those who are blind and will not believe. Um, 
think about uh, my, I guess, rant about, about community, right? If you're part of a community that is willfully blind, then you too will be blind, right? So Jesus is taking him out of a blind community, effective, spiritually blind, um, and he's going to heal him outside the city. I think that's key. Uh, what did Jesus do to heal the man? Oh, similar to what we saw um, with the deaf mute, right? He spat on his eyes and he put his hands on him and asked him if he saw anything. And the answer, of course, is the man says, I see men like trees walking. Now, I don't know why, how he knows what trees um, look like, um, but this is actually a, a quite, quite a rich expression um, from the prophets. Right, so the man's quoting Old Testament prophets. Uh, one would be uh, Hosea uh, 4. So listen to this. Harlotry, wine, and new wine enslave the heart. This is referring to Israel. My people ask counsel from their wooden idols, and their staff informs them. The spirit of harlotry has caused them to stray, and they have plagued, played the harlot against their God. They offer sacrifices on the mountaintops and burn incense on the hills, under oaks, poplars, and terebinths, because their shade is good. Therefore, your daughters commit harlotry, and your brides commit adultery. Right? So note the idolatry. Um, their idols are made of wood, and their altars are set up under trees. According to Hosea. Right? So keep, keep listening here. We got some more. Ezekiel 6 is another example. Again, against Israel. Um, <laughs> Thus says the Lord God, pound your fists and stamp your feet and say, alas, for all the evil abominations of the house of Israel, for they shall fall by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. Right? We heard this from Jeremiah. Here it is in Ezekiel. He who is far off shall die by the pestilence. He who is near shall fall by the sword. And he who remains and is besieged shall die by the famine. Thus will I spend my fury upon them. Now listen to this. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when their slain are among their idols all around their altars, on every high hill, on all the mountain tops, under every green tree, and under every thick oak, wherever they offered sweet incense to all their idols. So I will stretch my hand against them and make the land desolate. Yes, more desolate than the wilderness toward Dibla and all their dwelling places. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. All right, so notice the green trees on the hills and on the mountaintops, all right? Um, yeah, the tr trees do bear a really important uh, role in the scriptures. Um, it's sacred trees, um, especially idol idolatry attached to trees, uh, is not unique to the time of the Bible or Old Testament or New Testament for that matter. Um, I was trying to remember in Bible class on Sunday, the uh, felling of the sacred oak um, among the Gauls uh, when... It was a, I can't remember who the prophet or who the missionary was to the Gauls. I tore down the sacred oak and used it in part to construct the new church. Um, and later, you know, that's responsible for them for the con conversion of Germany. Let me see if I can find it quick. Because I meant to look it up then. Sacred tree. All right, let's see if I put enough keywords in there to get a answer. Yeah, it was Thor's oak. So it goes. It was in Hesse. Or Donner's Oak, Boniface, that's his name, St. Boniface, all right, missionary to the Germans. Donner's Oak, Thor's Oak, uh, Jove's Oak, if you're in Roman, 
the sacred tree of the Germanic pagans, located in an unclear location, but was thought to be in the region of Hassa. According to 8th century Vita Bonifici Actore Villabaldi, the Anglo-Saxon missionary St. Boniface, and his retinue cut down the tree earlier the same century. Wood from the oak was then reportedly used to build the church on the site dedicated to St. Peter. Sacred trees and sacred groves were widely venerated by the Germanic peoples. And that's in the life of St. Boniface by Villabald, an 8th century biography. There you go. So Boniface, try to commit that to memory. <laughs> All right. Um, so the connection, oh, I got one more text. Sorry. Isaiah, uh, he, he uses this language too. Let's see. It's Isaiah 17. Uh, let's just jump in. Jump in verse four. In that day, it shall come to pass that the glory of Jacob will wane and the fatness of his flesh will grow lean. It shall be as when the harvester gathers the grain and reaps the heads with his arm. It shall be as he who gathers heads of grain in the valley of Rephaim. Yet gleaning grapes will be left in it, like the shaking of an olive tree, two or three olives on the top of the uppermost bough, four or five in the most fruitful branches, says the Lord God of Israel. In that day, a man will look to his maker, and his eyes will have respect for the Holy One of Israel. He will not look to the altars, the work of his hands. He will not respect what his fingers have made, here it is, nor the wooden images, nor the incense altars. In that day, his strong cities will be a forsaken bough, right? language of a tree here, and an uppermost branch, which they left because the children of Israel, and there will be desolation, because you have forgotten the God of your salvation and have not been mindful of the rock of your stronghold. Therefore, you will plant pleasant plants and set out foreign seedlings. In that day, you will make your plant to grow, and in the morning you will make your seed to flourish, but the harvest will be a heap of ruins, and in the day of grief, desperate sorrow. All right. Um, so the prophets are warning here, whether it's Hosea or Ezekiel, or I suppose Isaiah too, uh, these are all contemporaries of each other, that the people are worshiping false gods, of course, made of wood, under trees, right? Um, and they will be judged for their unbelief. Um, I also note there from Isaiah, what's the what's a property of wood and not of stone, right? Jesus being described as the rock, um, his being the rock, of course, that we stumble upon, but also the rock upon which the church is built, the solid foundation. Yeah, wood burns, right? And will be consumed on the last day, whereas the stones will remain. So uh, St. Peter describes us as living stones built upon um, the foundation that is Christ, the cornerstone. All right, so here, that's all. I think that's all being brought to bear. It's just a simple little expression. I see men like trees walking, meaning um, they are living a life of idolatry. All right, false god, falling after false gods, which is again why Jesus takes him out of Bethsaida. And then, what did Jesus do for the man? Again, he only now sees the trees. Forest for the trees, maybe. <laughs> now he puts his hands on his eyes again, and then made him look up. I think that's key, um, so that his sight was restored and he saw everyone clearly. And of course, what does he tell the man then not to do? Go, don't go back into the town or tell anyone in that town, right? Yeah, there's other stories about trees. Chris notes in the uh, comments here on Facebook. Um, we have the cursing of the fig tree, right? Um, the tree that refuses to bear fruit. 
is cursed, which is another picture of unbelief and idolatry. Um, what other? Uh, we have Jesus rest, reclining under the shade of a tree. Well, we have uh, Zacchaeus climbing a sycamore tree, right? right? So, And of course, the, the big tree, the true trees of the uh, garden uh, are always in the background, I think, right? Both the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So. All right, meditation then. The men of Bethsaida had heard the preaching of Jesus and seen his miracles, but they did not believe in him. Here we learn that faith is not a product of human reason, intellectual decision, or emotional commitment of the heart of man. Say that again. We learn that faith is not the product of human reason, intellectual decision, or emotional commitment of the heart of man. Faith is a gift given to those whom the Lord has graciously drawn out of the world of unbelief. The Lord removes the blindness of our sinful eyes by spitting upon us in holy baptism and marking us with his own hand through the pastor who places the sign of the cross upon our foreheads and upon our hearts. Or as we talked about two weeks ago in Bible class, the brand mark of baptism. Right? We're branded. Yet even then it is as though we see men like trees walking, for it is necessary that through the ongoing catechesis of the church, the hand of Jesus would cause us to see clearly and confess the one tree upon which our Lord won the victory over death for men trapped in the blindness of sin. Thus he instructs us so that we may not be judged for unbelief, but may live in the freedom of faith. All right, so there you would think uh, of a final tree, right? The tree of life, not the tree of life in the center of the garden, but the tree of life on the mountain of Golgotha, right? The cross from which uh, Lord of glory uh, gave his life in order that we would have life in him. All right, so not a long reading, but a lot to talk about, I suppose. Good. Let's confess our catechism for this week, Lord's Prayer introduction. Our Father, who art in heaven, what does this mean? With these words, God tenderly invites us to believe that he is our true Father and that we are his true children, so that with all boldness and confidence we may ask him, as dear children ask their dear Father. We pray. Heavenly Father, in holy baptism, we became your dear children and you became our dear Father. You have given us every gift of salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and for Jesus' sake have made us so many great and precious promises. We thank you for the gift of forgiveness, for clothing us with the righteousness of Christ, and for making us joint heirs with your Son of eternal life. Forgive us for doubting your tender love for us and for not trusting that we are your dear children in Jesus. Give us confidence in your word, boldness to call upon you in prayer for all our needs, and the joy of being your dearly loved and forgiven children. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. On this Saturday, we pray for faithfulness to the end, for the renewal of those who are withering in the faith or have fallen away, for pastors as they prepare to administer Christ's holy gifts, and for receptive hearts and minds on the Lord's day. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. On this day, we pray in Thanksgiving with Duane and Doug, who celebrate their birthday. Pray for all our households, especially Julie, Courtney, Don and Karen, Joe, Martin and Tara, and Jan and Donna. We pray for those who are ill, receiving treatment, or recovering, especially Tristan, Marcella, Angie, Jeremy, Kelsey, Amanda, John, and Timothy. Janice, Sandy, Ken, and Kathy. Pray for our homebound Bev, David, Roy, Willis, and Janice, and Mickey. 
pray for the missions and mercy work of the church, especially um, the mercy work of Safe Harbor in our community. We pray for a gift and increase of patience among us. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord have mercy. Pray the collect. Almighty and merciful God, by your gift alone, your faithful people render true and laudable service. Help us steadfastly to live in this life according to your promises, and finally attain your heavenly glory through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Uh, I think the prayer is still appropriate, even with uh, the things that have changed. We'll see if there's any petition here that should be changed. We pray. Lord of heaven and earth, the children of this world often refer to Afghanistan as the graveyard of empires. You know it as another corner of the world uh, you made and redeemed in the blood of your Son. No place on this earth is beyond your care and concern. In all the recent chaos brought on by the devastatingly poor decisions made by U.S. leadership, you alone can bring hope. Enable U.S. and allied forces to rescue and evacuate our people from the clutches of the terrorists, including all those Afghans who worked alongside U.S. forces and trusted that America would help them secure a better future for their people, especially their women and children. Comfort the families of those who lost loved ones serving in Afghanistan, fighting for our safety and a better society for all. Give them the certainty that their lives and sacrifices had meaning before your throne of grace. Preserve and protect your Christian people in Afghanistan who face the prospect of certain persecution and even death at the hands of their new Taliban warlords. We are bold to pray even for what seems impossible to our eyes, the softening of Taliban hearts, so that they would repent of their false god and believe in the free gospel of Jesus Christ. All this we ask through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Oh, and as I mentioned, uh, we missed yesterday's commemoration. That's my fault. Um, but we can we can recognize it today because it actually goes with today's. All right. So, yesterday it was Monica, mother of Augustine, born in North Africa, uh, 333 to 387. Was Monica was the devoted mother of Saint Augustine. Throughout her life, she sought the spiritual welfare of her children, especially that of her brilliant son Augustine. Widowed at a young age, she devoted herself to her family, praying many years for Augustine's conversion. When Augustine left North Africa to go to Italy, she followed him to Rome and then to Milan. There she had the joy of witnessing her son's conversion to the Christian faith. Weakened by her travels, Monica died in Ostia, Italy, on the journey she had hoped would take her back to her native Africa. On some church calendars, Monica is remembered on May 4th. We pray. O Lord, you strengthened your patient servant Monica through spiritual discipline to persevere in offering her love, her prayers, and her tears for the conversion of her husband and then of Augustine, her son. Deepen our devotion to bring others, even our own family, to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, now and forever. Amen. And then today, we have St. Augustine. Augustine was one of the greatest of the Latin Church Fathers and a significant influence in the formation of Western Christianity, including Lutheranism. Um, By the way, he's from Africa, so he's an African. Born in AD 354 in North Africa, Augustine's early life was distinguished by exceptional advancement as a teacher of rhetoric. 
In his book, Confessions, he describes his life before his conversion to Christianity, when he was drawn into the moral laxity of the day and fathered an illegitimate son. Through the devotion of his sainted mother, Monica, and the preaching of Ambrose, Bishop of Milan, 8339-97, Augustine was converted to the Christian faith. During the great Pelagian controversies of the 5th century, Augustine emphasized the unilateral grace of God in the salvation of mankind. Bishop and theologian at Hippo in North Africa from AD 395 until his death in AD 430, Augustine was a man of great intelligence, a fierce defender of the Orthodox faith, and a prolific writer. In addition to confessions, Augustine's book, City of God, had a great impact upon the Church throughout the Middle Ages and Renaissance. We pray. O Lord God, the light of the minds that know you, the life of the souls that love you, and the strength of the hearts that serve you, Give us strength to follow the example of your servant Augustine of Hippo, so that knowing you we may truly love you, and loving you we may fully serve you, for to serve you is perfect freedom. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you, For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Hmm, I got shinier out. Very nice. Turn down my light a little bit. All right. Um, today, well, we're running a little bit long. How about we sing the first and last stanza of the hymn? So one and six. Such love, the 
to give. All thanks and praise for his great love by which we All right, that's our Congregation of Prayer for today, August 28th, 2021. It's good to have you with us here. And uh, you can join us, of course, every day, uh, except for Sundays at 9 a.m. for Congregation of Prayer. And the plan is, we'll try it next week, is to continue doing it at 9 a.m. Because uh, I'm going with the school children at 8 a.m. Uh, rather than stream them, um, probably one, because it'll take a little bit longer, um, but also because uh, we don't want th- those kids don't want to be on camera. Our parents don't want them on camera. Um, you know, we'll do it separately here online for you each day. So that's the plan. Uh, of course, tomorrow is Divine Service at 9.30 a.m., so join us for that. We'll have the, the Feast of the Martyrdom of St. John the Baptist, which I suppose seems like an odd feast to celebrate uh, the death of uh, the last prophet um, at the hands of a, a tyrant king. But uh, there may be a few things relevant to our contemporary setting for you to hear uh, from that. Uh, wait for that tomorrow. And then after um, church, we'll continue our Bible study um, looking at some of the warfare or military uh, metaphors and analogies used, uh, particularly in the New Testament. Right. So we'll continue tomorrow uh, to talk about being put under orders and then move forward from there as well. All right. So uh, Lord be with you. Keep you safe. I hope to see you tomorrow in person. If not, um, you can catch the stream. Have a blessed day.